All right, uh, here to continue our King series is none other than Heather Kamira. Let's put it together for Heather. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Um, really blessed to be with you this morning. Always love getting a chance to, to see your beautiful faces. <laughs> now, I'm sure I'm not the only one that struggles with this, but I get really overwhelmed when I have too many options. Anybody? Yeah? You get overwhelmed? Okay, so anybody seen that Cheesecake Factory menu? Okay, that thing gives me anxiety, okay? That's like 30 pages long. They slap that book down in front of you, and you're like, ah, I'll be here, like, just come back in an hour, I guess. Um, but thankfully, I have, um, I'm gluten-free, so I get one page. And yet still, somehow I struggle. <laughs> um, I was in Kroger's the other day, and uh, this is why, an example of why I do not do the shopping for our family, because uh, it takes me so long. And I have this full cart, and I realize, okay, I have one last thing on my item, or my, uh, an item on my list. And so I cart myself all the way down to the end of the store to the dreaded ice cream aisle. Okay, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. That thing is like the entire length of the store. And I'm like overwhelmed with options, right? And I need one certain kind, and I need one certain size, and I'm just carting myself all the way down to the end of the aisle, and I can't find what I'm looking for. And so I'm like, oh, well, I'll just go back. So I go all the way back down the aisle. I still can't I do this a couple times. I actually start breaking a sweat in the ice cream aisle. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And all I'm thinking is, I just want to get out of here. I just want to find that. I'm actually considering if my mother-in-law would actually prefer or would even like ice cream made out of tofu because it's the only kind I can find in her flavor. And I'm getting just so frustrated at that point. I finally find what I'm looking for. It all ended well. Grandma got her ice cream and I got a little workout, so it was a win-win. But, though those are funny examples of just, you know, small decisions that we make, if those can even give us anxiety, if those can even lock us in indecision and overwhelm us, then what do we do with the big decisions of life, right? The big decisions. Like, I don't know, who, should I, who I should date or uh, who I should marry, right? Those are big decisions. What college I should go to, uh, whether or not I should move jobs and relocate, uh, who I should vote for, <laughs> uh, what church to attend. Nah, that's an easy one, right? <laughs> this one. Uh, what we need, though, for making good choices in this life is wisdom. We need wisdom. And wisdom is having competence in regarding the realities of life. Not what we feel or what we think, but the realities of life. It's navigating life well, especially when it comes to those gray areas that we talked about last week with Solomon. We need wisdom to know how to make decisions, especially in those gray areas of life. But what's hard about wisdom is that you can't just sign up for some webinar or <laughs> take a class or read another self-help book to get it, can you? In the Bible, uh, the book that talks the most about wisdom is Proverbs, okay? And Proverbs says this um, in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways submit to him, 
and he will make your path straight. This is where we're heading. This is the path we need to be on to find wisdom. What we see in the book of Proverbs and throughout scripture is that wisdom is just not that quick fix that we're looking for, right? <laughs> it's not this hotline of you know, making good decisions, which I wish it, wish it was sometimes. But it's found in submitting to God's path and to follow not our own path. Do you hear that a lot? Follow your own path. Follow your own path. But it's actually not. Wisdom is following God's path. Not our wants and our desires, but his wants and his desires, his will. In Ephesians 5, 15 through 16, it says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. God doesn't want to just give us those quick fix answers to fix our life and, and help us make our decisions. It's not just about that. He's, he's more about us becoming part of his will and his design and his kingdom. He wants to transform our lives, right? Into something else, into something like him, by submitting to him. So we're currently doing this series on the kings, dun-dun-dun, the kings, and we're looking back at Israel's early history and studying the lives of some of the kings um, in their early history. And, and I know that there's a popular belief out there about history in general and, and looking back on history and why we study history. And, and I don't know if you've heard this saying before, but those who do not lean, learn from their mistakes of the past are doomed to repeat them. Have you ever heard that? And a lot of people will say, that's why we study history, so we don't repeat the same mistakes. Well, you can never have the exact same situation in the exact same way, can you? Uh, repeated. So really, why we study history is in order to understand who we are and where we came from and how we got here. It's to essentially learn about ourselves. And so this study is, is exactly that. Our hope is that as we look at the lives of these kings, that we'll actually learn something about ourselves, right? Let's go ahead and pray and just invite the Lord to come and, and then we'll, we'll dive into scripture here. Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence here. I just love, love these times of worship, just to get to worship with uh, my community on these, these mornings. And uh, I pray your presence will come more. God, we always want just more of you in our lives. God, we need you. I pray you would just uh, give me peace and, and that you would um, help me to speak your words. God, we give you this time in the name of Jesus. Amen. So today we're looking at King Rehoboam. That's not the name you hear a lot. Call him Ray for short. No. <laughs> he's the, the son of Solomon, and he's the fourth king in Israel's history. And so the story begins in 1 Kings 12. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them. And if you don't, they, we have uh, Bibles on either side of the stage and also some in the back. Um, so here's the story. And I'm going to kind of give you the play-by-play because -play, it is actually a really detailed account of the first days of Rehoboam. So Rehoboam's father is Solomon, right? And he's the wisest man in history, as we learned last week. Now, Rehoboam was actually born right around the time where Solomon became king. 
So Rehoboam's never known life without his dad on the throne, right? And he's seen his dad's rise, but also his dad's demise. In 1 Kings 11, to give a little context to our passage today, it says in in, uh, verse 4, As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. And then in 1 Kings 11, 11 through 13, later on in the chapter, it says, So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude, and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son, and yet I will not tear tear the whole kingdom from him, but I will give him one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen." Now, this is not so great news for Rehoboam, right? When he hears this this word from the Lord, when when it trickles down and he finds this out, I'm sure he's like, ah. But what's interesting is you actually don't see that at all. And if you hadn't have read chapter 11, you wouldn't have even thought that Rehoboam thought his kingdom could be ripped away from him. It's interesting. And I wonder if it's because when he became king, he was around 40, 41, and so he had... He had only known his dad being in power, and you wonder, especially hitting his 40s, if he's like, okay, when's my turn? You know, <laughs> let's get on with this. I'm ready to go. And so the, the beginning of chapter 12, we see him going straight to Shechem, which is just like 30 miles north of Jerusalem, and he's ready to be made king. And so just before he's pronounced king, the Israelites take the opportunity to appeal to him with some requests before they follow him. So in 1 Kings 12, 4, it says, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and then we will serve you. Interesting. So when you actually look at Solomon's reign, especially the last part of his reign, you see that this is actually very legitimate. Solomon had commissioned about 30,000 of the Israelites to build the temple of the Lord, but he had also put a really heavy tax on his own people, an oppressive tax. And so these people are literally saying, you just be the king that you're supposed to be and and just lighten the load a little bit, and then we'll serve you. It's a pretty reasonable request and, and kind of amazing if you remember what we just read in chapter 11, right? It's as though God's giving Rehoboam an opportunity to make the right choice. Now look in uh, verse, look at verse five. Rehoboam's response to the Israelites is, "Go away for three days, and then come back to me." So he just wisely asks for a little time to think about it, which is good. That's a good thing to do. But we don't have any evidence as over those course of the three days that he prayed about it. We don't have any evidence that he consulted the priests or that he got the prophets involved and said, "What do you What do you say the Lord is saying about this decision?" Because this is a big decision, right? What he does do, though, is wise, and he gathers around him wise counsel, right? Counsel, counselors around him. But, sadly, that's about as far as his wisdom takes him. (laughs) So 1 Kings 12, uh, 6 through 8 says, Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people? Good question. 
They replied, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice of the elders, the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. So the elders in this scenario are that they have this perspective that only years and only experience could have provided them, right? They had been the advisors of Solomon. They knew how this worked. And they also saw the decline of Solomon. They saw the oppression of their own people. They had context for this appeal that the Israelites had made. And their advice was lighten the load. That was good advice, really good advice. But apparently Rehoboam wasn't looking for good advice or wise counsel, was he? He was looking more, I would say, for affirmation. He was looking for somebody to tell him what he wanted to hear. Because as we'll find out, he had already kind of made his decision. So I don't think our issue today is as much as that we just reject wise counsel, as in we just forget to ask for it, right? That's my problem. <laughs> I forget to ask for help. I forget to ask. And maybe because it's because we live in a society that's so individualistic, right? I mean, you can really just, you can live life pretty well without being dependent on too many people. And that's just the reality of our world. And I would say that that's actually something the world would say is a strength, you know? It's like, you take care of number one, or, or you, you don't need anybody, you know? Like, you hear that a lot. You don't need anybody. And you definitely don't need anybody to tell you what to do, right? Or to be accountable to anybody, right? How would they have a right to tell you what to do with your life, with your choices? It's your life, right? It's your life. But my question is, how do we navigate this life if we've never been there? If we've never actually been there? We don't know how to navigate the path ahead because we've just not walked it out yet. And there are some destinations I know I could have avoided in my life <laughs> if I had only stopped and asked for directions, right? Now, I think it's a really important thing to know, and I need to remind myself of this too, is that when we ask for help, when we, when we ask somebody for wisdom, that's not, that doesn't mean that we're lacking wisdom. It actually is a, it's evidence of wisdom. That's evidence of wisdom. And what's interesting is that Solomon, who we know was the wisest man to ever have lived, directed everyone to seek wise counsel more than anyone else in the Bible, actually. He's the one who would talk about it over and over, especially in the Proverbs. He insisted, and I would almost say he would be the exception of the rule, but he didn't even see it that way, he insisted that we needed outside, that we need outside assistance in our life. So let me read a couple of the examples in, in Proverbs. Proverbs 12:15 says, "The way of fools seem right to them, but the wise listen to advice." Proverbs 15:22, "Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed." Proverbs 19.20, listen to advice and accept discipline, and at the end you will be counted among the wise. Uh, I think Rehoboam had learned a few things from his dad. I mean, he, he at least had surrounded himself with, with counselors, but he just had no intention to actually listen to them. 
The Bible says that it's the fool who says that they don't need anybody to tell them what to do. I don't need you to tell me what to do. <laughs> or a fool is one who knows what's right. He knows what he should do. He just doesn't care. <laughs> he just doesn't care. But to navigate this life with wisdom, we need to not only surround ourselves with wise counsel, but we need to listen to them, right? We need experienced mentors in our life. We need counselors. We need older people who've been there before, who've lived it well, to tell us the truth. And I think this is especially important for us, I'll count my, us younger people, right? It's really important to have mentors in your life. Do you have mentors in your life? Do you have anybody in your life that's older than you that you're doing life with, you're sharing your life with, and not just the good parts that you already have kind of under control, but, but your whole life? You know, you're really sharing your life with somebody that's older, that is, that's been there? And are you willing to listen to what they have to say? Are you willing to learn, to be teachable? And for those of us or those of you that are, that are more mature, um, this is still true. No one ever gets to a place where they no longer need wise counsel, right? Well, there's none of us that ever arrive. Oh, <laughs> I've arrived. <laughs> none, of us have had, none of us arrive to that place of utter and total wisdom. We all have something to learn, and we all have a new perspective to gain. We never reach our full potential on our own, do we? So are you intentional? Are you intentional with engaging with those around you, especially with younger people? And can I say this for myself? We need you to. We need you to. And in this church, I, I, this is one of the things I actually I am most proud about. One of the things I'm most proud about about this church is that we're a multi-generational church. And if you do any research on multi-generational churches, you'll find they're, they're really rare. And I see this, this going on in our lives, like whether in our small groups or uh, how, how much of a value this is, how rich uh, of, a, of a legacy we have here at this church. I think we all need Paul's and Timothy's in our lives. We all need someone older than us, right, that's pouring into us, that has been there. We all need somebody younger than us or, or not as far on the path that we can pour into. And that's the model of discipleship that we see throughout, throughout Scripture. And it's one of the ways that we navigate this life really well with wisdom. I help uh, co-lead a small group, and we usually attract people that are uh, very much like us, right? Just same age, same stage of life. Um, but a couple years back, we had a couple, Howe and Kimby, start attending our group regularly. And I'll just say that their kids are just a little younger than me, okay? And what we realized really quickly was, man, they fit a need in our lives that we didn't even know we had. They have become just such a breath of fresh air in our small group and such a treasure to us. We're so lucky to have them. And I can't tell, I mean, on my own, even personally, I feel like they've been the people that have just loved me the most. They've um, given me wise counsel. They've corrected me. They've encouraged me. I've just come to value them so much in our group. And I know we have a couple small groups here where, where we're really intentional about uh, inviting lots of different generations into the same group. 
And I think that's a sweet and practical way to just surround yourself with wise counsel. I have another example. Um, when I first met Teresa, <clears throat> I didn't like her at first. <laughs> she was leading a team that I was assigned to for putting together this really big event at my, at my workplace, at my office. And I remember she did not hold back as to what she thought I should do and how I should do it. And in that moment, there's something that came out of me, this little rebel streak, and I'm like, oh, who do you think you are Tell me what to do? I don't know you. I was like, I I'm not gonna do what you tell me to do, I'm gonna do it my own way. And I just had this little like rebel moment, I just, I, I, I just, for whatever reason, she just rubbed me the wrong way. Well, for a couple weeks later, I had a friend at work that said, hey, like we have this Bible study at work, you should totally join it. Guess who was leading that said Bible study? <laughs> Teresa. And uh, I remember wrestling in, it, in my heart with it because I had this assumption as to who she was. And I remember God so clearly just, just kind of speaking to me and, and saying, Heather, I'm going to use her in your life in a big way. So I stopped going to the group. No, <laughs> I didn't. I, I, I didn't. I, thankfully, I didn't let that stop me. I kept going. And thank goodness, it's been three years of me walking this life out with her. She's become a mentor in my life that I didn't even know I needed. And I can't imagine how I could have even gone through the last three years without her by my side. And if I had just gone on, and this is what you need to hear, especially us younger ones, if I had just gone on the, the first impression and the feeling that I had, and I made my decision out of that feeling, instead of actually listening to the voice of God in that moment, I don't know where I would be, you know? I, I know that that's what God had for me, the best thing he had for me. Thank goodness I followed what he said. You know what I love most about Teresa is the fact that, yes, she is direct, and yes, she is intentional. But what I treasure most is that she's where I want to be one day. She's where I want to be one day. And I learn from her so much by just watching her walk out her, her own walk with God. I learn so much. So what does Rehoboam do? Instead of listening to these wise elders and counselors in his life, Rehoboam looks to his buddies, right? His pals, his peers, <laughs> his dudes. I, I don't know, keep going, I could keep going there. And they basically tell him what? They tell him, you go to the Israelite people and you demand respect. Ever heard that? Does that sound familiar at all in our culture? That you go and you demand respect. <laughs> this is what they say in, in uh, verses 10 and 11. The young men who had grown up with him replied, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now you go tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. I am better man than he was, right? My father laid a heavy yoke on you, I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips, I will scourge you with scorpions. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that one, Raybone. Uh, these guys, no, not wise counsel, right? They were so caught up, so caught up in the privilege of their leadership that they forgot about the responsibility that comes with leadership, right? They were focused on what they were entitled to. 
They were not focused on using their position to serve the Israelite people. And if this is the mentality that they had, you can obviously see this is the mentality Rehoboam had because he doesn't even question it. When you assume, and this is important, especially today, when you assume that since everybody you know is doing something, that it's probably right, hmm, that's called herd assumption. And it is a big assumption and a big risk to take, right? Everybody's going this direction, so it must be right, right? And we don't even question it, because these are the people we do life with, right? There is almost nothing more significant in determining the course of your life than the decision of who you're going to do life closely with. Who's riding along in the car with you, right? The path you travel down in life has everything to do with the people that you do life with. This is why we stress the importance of small groups in our community, doing life with people who love Jesus, who love Jesus like you do. We all need friends, we all need friends to sit in the passenger seat of our life and to help us through, help us navigate those really hard parts of life, right? To encourage us to keep going. But are they loyal just to you and to themselves, or are they loyal to the truth as well? Are they the kind of friends that if you made a wrong turn, they'd be like, uh, yeah, you were supposed to make a right turn, but you made a left turn. Uh, yeah, we should turn around. Um, are they willing to risk it a little bit and tell you the truth? Because those are the friends that we need. Proverbs 13:20 says, walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Rehoboam had surrounded himself with guys who were just like him. <clears throat> he had no outside perspective his inner, of his inner circle to challenge his way of thinking. That's what we call an echo chamber today. Have you heard that term? Kind of fly, it's been coming out more and more. An echo chamber is a group situation where information or ideas or beliefs are uncritically bounced from insider to insider and amplified while dissenting views are censored or ignored. Yeah? This is called your Facebook feed, <laughs> okay? Because then when you realize, oh, wait a minute, like everybody is saying the same thing I am. Oh, this is nice. That's because you've blocked everybody else, right? You've blocked all the ones that are just going AWOL on Facebook. And I'm all about that, you know, just getting rid of crud, you know, and not always, always taking in all that stuff. But, but I also want to make sure we're not just um, insulating ourselves from critically thinking about what we believe and why we believe it, right? I think that's why it's so valuable to have people around us and friends that are different than us, that have different perspectives than us, that can help us think of critically about the path that we're on. Because what we gotta remember is that we don't hold the whole truth, okay? You don't have the whole perspective of reality. Okay, so we need other people, especially when it comes to our lives, right? Boy, do we have some blind spots. We need each other to have a full, full reality, to see the full reality. I had a friend that I, I met. I met this girl in my freshman year of college. We were the same height, which was cool, and we were taking art classes together. 
And we started hanging out more, realized we had a lot in common. Her dad used to be a pastor too, and, and she's just really cool. And so we started hanging out more, as you do when you're a freshman trying to find your, your people. And, and so one day we were walking along a, a path, and, and we're sharing life, and I'm asking her how she's doing, and, and she asks me how I'm doing, and I start sharing. And she interrupts me at one point, and she's like, points out something in my life that I've always done, that she's like, you know what, that's not really healthy, right? You know that's not actually what you should do, right? She's like, why do you always do that? And I'm like, who are you? I don't know you. <laughs> you know, like, that defensiveness just rises up. That's because it's how I've always been. And I can't fathom somebody trying to come into my life and correct me, heaven's sakes. But she did. And she was right. She was absolutely right. And I can actually tell you that that conversation that we had was a pivot point for me. It was a point in my life where I got challenged by somebody else's perspective. And, and, and it shifted the course of my life in a really good way, in a really good way. And we're best friends. We are best friends to this day. Um, I wish she lived closer, but <laughs> she's wonderful. And, and that's the kind of friends we need, right? We need friends that are gonna tell us the truth. So as the story of Rehoboam continues, we see that three days later, the people reconvene, and Rehoboam gives them his answer. <clears throat> he says that he would lead in such a way to make them long for the days of his father, that he was not there to serve, but he was there to rule. Verses 16 and 17, when all Israel heard that the king had refused to listen to them, they answered the king, what share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, Israel. Look after your own house, David. And so the Israelites went home. But as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. Rehoboam has a rebellion on his hands because of his choices. And as God said, the kingdom is split in two. Some to the north, ten tribes to the north, and two to the south. Our actions and decisions really do matter, don't they? And they can have really big consequences. And, it, and it's not because God is some angry God and always looking to punish us when we, when we make a wrong turn or when we go down the wrong path. This is just called the principle of sowing and reaping. And it's hard, right? Cause and effect. Rehoboam had not set out. That, that wasn't his goal, to divide his kingdom in two. Actually, you know, his name means expander of kingdoms. <laughs> uh, it's sad, really. He didn't set out to divide a nation or to set it on a path of disaster, but he chose just simply a foolish path. He chose to walk after his own desires and his own needs to do his own things, and he ended up somewhere he never intended to be. When we realize that we've taken a wrong turn, what should we do? What, is, what does our GPS tell us? Back in the day, it was like recalibrating, you know, dot, 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 and it took, a while, you know, took it a while to like figure out how to get you back on track. Now it just tells me, uh, you need to turn over and just take a U-turn and go back this way and turn around, right? Turn around. But Rehoboam, for whatever reason, still doesn't realize that he's even lost. He doesn't even realize he needs to turn around. He just sees this as a problem that he needs to fix. 
okay? And I know that's natural. I know that's natural. When we start feeling the pain of, of our choices, we want to just like fix it real quick. What we don't realize is we've been probably walking that path for a long time. And what, what takes months and, and years to, to uh, walk down are going to maybe take a while to get back from, right? And, and the sad part is we don't have some quick fix answer like we wish we would. Not a quick verse, not a quick course we could take, or a prayer that we can pray. A lot of times we just have to climb out and turn around and start walking back toward Jesus. What we have to do is repent, right? That's the word repent. It means to turn around. Repent means to turn around and head back in the direction of the Lord. It's like you've, you've been heading in your own direction for a long time and you realize, you know what? My life has been dictated by my goals and my career goals and my dreams and my desires, but I haven't even consulted the Lord as to what he thinks about it. And you realize, you know what? Instead of doing that, I'm going to actually turn around and face the Lord and ask him, what's your will? What's your purpose? What's your desire for my life? So when Rehoboam gets home to Jerusalem, he decides to go to war because that's what you do when you want to fix a problem, right? You go to war. <laughs> and the last two tribes he has left, he takes Judah and Benjamin uh, to go fight against the tribes of Israel up north. And in uh, verse 22 and 24, it says, But the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, the man of God, say to Rehoboam, son of Solomon, king of Judah, to all Judah and Benjamin and the rest of the people, this is what the Lord says. Do not go up and fight against your brothers, the Israelites. Go home, every one of you, for this is my doing. So they obeyed the word of the Lord and went home again as the Lord had ordered. They finally listened, right? They finally listened. But it didn't change the course that Rehoboam was on. And as we read later in the chapter and later in the next two chapters, we find that Rehoboam does not end well. And though he listens to the Lord here, it doesn't change the course that he's on. I think sometimes God gets our attention. This is hard for me, but he gets our attention sometimes by, by somebody coming into our life and giving us a word of correction. Mm. That's not a fun one, right? But are we correctable people? Are we correctable people? Can you be approached about a fault without chewing somebody's head off? I've done that. <laughs> Can you be approached about a fault and not sink into, into depression or, or self-pity or become passive-aggressive and, and play nice on the outside and then get them back later because they called something out in my life? <clears throat> Can you be corrected without gossiping about the person behind their back? One of the keys to navigating life well with wisdom is being willing to really listen to what people have to say. And, and after many of Jesus' sermons in the Gospels, after many of them, he would say this. He would say, whoever has ears, let him hear. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. That's pretty much all of us, right? We all have ears. And what he's really trying to say, right, is he knows that his words, which could bring freedom and life and salvation, to, to the people that are listening, some of them, the information goes in one ear and right out the other, right? Because we're not really listening. And he's saying, I want you to hear what I have to say. 
And what we see in the Bible is that God's not actually hesitant to speak to his people. Isn't that cool? God is not hesitant to speak to us. He is so willing to speak to you. You know that? But usually it's us that aren't in a position to listen, right? We're not in a position to listen. Are you willing to let God speak into any area of your life? (laughs) Anyone he chooses. Or are you strong-arming God and saying, you know what, I'm fine with you blessing my family and blessing my church and coming into my relationships, when it comes, but when it comes to my career, hands off God. Mm-mm, that's mine. You don't mix God and careers, right? I've heard that. <laughs> this is business. This is business. Uh, that's just an example, but when we strong-arm God and we say, you know, like, you're allowed in these parts of our life and not these, We're living life um, sectioned off, right? Like a grapefruit, like pieces. God's this piece, and our career is this piece, and our relationship is this piece. But God wants us to be like chocolate milk people, right? Where the syrup is all like mixed in, and you can't tell the difference between what's milk and what's chocolate syrup. He's just mixed into our life. That's what he wants. He wants full access to every part of us. He wants total freedom for our lives. I think it's actually when we start hitting hard times. And like with Rehoboam, when he's starting to really feel the pain of his decisions, that's when he finally listens. And that's usually when we finally listen too, right? That's when we finally call out to God and we're like, I need you, God, help me. I can't do this alone. And we realize we really can't. We realize we need him. Corrie ten Boom has this famous quote. She says, you may never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. How true is that? You know, I've been told by counselors uh, many times over that the bottom line prerequisite for, for counseling to succeed is that the client is desperate for change. Lots of people go through counseling, right? And lots of people are not desperate for change. And they go through the motions, maybe it's marriage counseling, maybe it's just some peer counseling. They go through the motions and and they even do the homework and, and and they give all the right answers, but they're not willing to change. And why is that? I think it's because the Holy Spirit hasn't convicted their hearts yet, hasn't shown them the reality of the mess they're living in, right? Hasn't shown them that, that they're, they're desperate, that they need him to come in. It's some, sometimes it's about God coming in and just simply humbling us. That's when we finally realize we need him and we cry out for change. I've seen individuals become really desperate for change, and I have seen a God who is faithful to meet them and bring the change that they're longing for. I have a friend who, um, she went through Integrity for Women, like, multiple times, and I asked her, uh, finally, I asked her, I was like, so why do you think this last time worked? I'm curious, because I can tell there's a change in you. Why this time did it work? And she said, well, <laughs> actually, all the rest of the time she went to the class, she actually quit halfway through because it got too hard. <laughs> and she's like, uh-uh, no, like, I don't know if I got, want God to touch that 
part. I'm not ready. And I get that, right? But she said this last time, she finally hit that place where she was sick of it. She was sick of the effect it was having on her life. She finally got sick of it. And she said, I, I need God. And, and you know what? Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. And so she, got, she has some pretty cool testimonies of those times in that class. She was one of two people that finished the class she was in. And the times where God just met her powerfully. Guys, he is so faithful to meet us when we're desperate for him. So faithful. I think the question is for our lives, are we desperate for change? Are we desperate for change? Are we willing to pull over and change directions? Change directions. So let's go ahead and stand, and we're going we're gonna to just go ahead and go right into ministry time. And uh, I think there's some of us here that are there. We are ready for change, right? We recognize that we need God and that he's the only one that's going to be able to, to, to fix this. And we're feeling the pain of those decisions in our life. But I also know that there's probably people here that you want to be there, <laughs> but you're not there yet, you know? I have been there. Uh, where you're wrestling, you're wrestling with, with God. And I just want to say, you know, God doesn't want you to just wrestle on your own, you know, in your own head. He wants to walk this out with you. And he will totally just take you right where you are right now. He, he's just saying, I want to do this with you. I want to walk this out with you. And so if that's you, if you feel like, you know what, I am desperate for change. There's some things in my life where I know and I recognize I need God. And I'm willing to make some exchanges with him today. And even those that are just kind of like, I want to need him. I want to feel that, but I, I'm just not there yet. That's okay too. Come forward. Keep just being willing to step, one step, toward the Lord. So if that's you, feel free to start coming forward. Um, but I have one last group of people I want to call forward. And I know you're going to not want me to tell you to do it. I'm not going to make you. But I would love to have the younger people in our church come forward and get blessed by some of the older people in our, in our congregation. So if you're like in your 30s and younger, I want you to come forward and just have somebody bless you. When's the last time you had someone come up to you and just bless your walk with Jesus? Okay? Well, I mean, as simple as that is, just come forward and let somebody put their hand on you and just bless you. Just bless you. And then I want, to, I want to challenge you with something before you go, before you, you know, bolt out of the room. I want you to bless them back. I want you to say, and bless you too. I bless your walk with God and your influence in this church. Okay? And so um, if you're, if you're you know, in your 30s or younger, if you want to go ahead and start coming forward, we're just going to lay hands on you guys and bless you. We want to invest in you. We want to, we want to call out the best in you. Okay? And then, like I said, turn around and bless the person that prayed for you. So JT's going to lead us in one last worship song. And if any of those were for you, feel free to come on forward. And then I'll come back up and uh, just close us in a word of prayer. Okay? Come on forward.
have some men prayers over here and over here and some women, some older women prayers. that are getting prayer, continue to do so. And make sure you bless uh, the person that, that prayed for you if you're younger. I'm just going to close this in a word of prayer. God, we thank you for oh, just your wisdom available to us. That you are longing to just walk this path with us. That you want to show us the way. You want to show us the steps to take. But you want to also transform us in the process, God. Lord, we just say yes to you. We just say yes to you coming into our lives. God, we trust that you are good. You are good, God, and, and you're safe to be trusted with all that we, we have on our shoulders, God. We just cast our cares on you, knowing that you care for us, God. And I pray this week that, that we would feel lighter, that we would, we would know your presence is with us. God, would you go with us as we leave today, Lord? Would you go with us? Would your presence just be on and with everyone here today? In the name of Jesus. God, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.